welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am joined here by Joe Jamoska. And Joe has been in the travel industry a very long time. She's a, a personality and a character that is larger <laughs> than life in every single way. And Joe's going to tell us about her story, but just a couple of highlights by way of introduction. So Joe joined Royal Caribbean in 2005, so 15 years in that role. Mm-hmm. Well, not in that role, actually, in the company. But and then in 2015, you were dedicated to celebrity. And your current role is vice president and managing director of Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So quite, quite a big a big title. But um, obviously prior to that, you were at Disney, uh, Universal. And, you know, I think the other thing that's fantastic is that you are incredibly well known in the whole LGBT um, mm-hmm. arena as well and such a passionate, di- you know, advocate for diversity and inclusion. So we're going to talk a lot about that. So Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you, Jeanette. I'm uh, <laughs> delighted to have been asked. Delighted to have been asked. Very excited to have you here. So it's been a couple of months straight before we could actually meet up and do this. It so has, it's, it's yeah. great to be able to do that. Yeah. I think a good place to start, Joe, if you don't mind, is just talk, talk us through your journey, where life started for you and kind of where you are now, and then we'll go from there. Gosh, okay. Well, I'll try to keep it as uh, brief as possible because circa, well, 35 years in the industry is a long time. But um <laughs> So I, I guess it all came about through studying languages, really. So I, I um, studied German, French and Spanish. Um, I used to be able to work in German, eat in French and drink in Spanish, but I can only, I can, now I can only drink in all of them. Uh, that's where I've got to over, over the years. Um, but, with, you know, languages were, were, were key to me. My, my mother was from Germany. My father was from Poland. So I was brought up with languages and we might talk a bit about that later on. So... Mm. Therefore, I did um, a business studies degree in travel and tourism. Um, and during that time frame, it was a four-year course during which we did two six-month stints working in the travel industry. Um, and for my first stint, I was uh, rep in Mallorca with Intersun Holidays, as was, <laughs> with the infamous Harry Goodman. Wow. Um, and I just loved it. I loved it. Uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, my Spanish was not great at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was only just started learning Spanish when I was at, when I was at college, German and French were my stronger languages. Uh, but I love the island. I absolutely love the experience. Uh, but during that, that first six months, I actually had to cope with a murder of a client, uh, four deaths, uh, all of which apart from one were under the age of 25. Wow. Through the balcony scenarios that we mostly had, in, sadly, in those days that still go on to this day. And the birth. A baby was born in the hotel bar- bathroom and the client <laughs> thought that she had a hangover, but she would, was actually pregnant. So I do believe that it is possible to nearly go full term and not realise that you are pregnant because I've actually experienced that myself, not personally, but with this client. But great learning curve for, yeah. for my industry. And then... Um, but I always knew that it was an experience and a stepping stone. I really learned about customer service during that time frame because 
Uh, it was the the heyday of overbooking. It was the heyday of flights landing and not enough hotel rooms. And you really had to be on your game. Mm. And and I have to say, I was delighted when I returned when uh, uh, Lynn Wallington, uh, who's married to Nigel Wallington as was, was head of overseas. And still to this day, I hold her in great admira- admiration. And she said, you know, you've clearly taken to this role like a duck to water. <laughs> Where do you want to go next? So... I then went off to Austria and uh, Lakes and Mountains, and I joined them full time when I when I finished my studies. Um, so, so I then worked within the tour operating business. Um, Peter Long joined during that time from the construction world. Um, I remember when he joined, and I was very involved in the ski Lakes and Mountains program. And it was new for in some because they'd always been Mediterranean. Yes, and yeah. they they actually bought the business, and we really developed it and. Mm. That was great because it was already sort of an entrepreneurial business within a larger business. And Dinah Holland, who was my boss at the time, um, uh, who was a great linguist and real expert in lakes and mountains. I'm still in touch with her today. She works still with Debbie Marshall and does a lot of the um, Silver Travel Advisor trips and brilliant writer to this day. Um, And we did it all. We wrote the brochures. We did the contracting. um, And I learned an awful lot through, through her. Um, and, um, that was a great five years. I tended to do five year stints because Mm. I'd studied in, I I always knew this was going to be a career. This wasn't just going to be a fleeting moment in the traveling. Mm. I wanted to join as a career. I wanted to use my languages. Um, I genuinely loved working with customers and customer experience and learned a a lot about that. As I said, in the, the horrors of the, 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 the early eighties in, in the, in the holiday world. Um, and I then sort of progressed on to various other companies. I was with Hertz Rent-A-Car. Um, Thomas Cook was my major client. And then I joined Thomas Cook as a corporate sales manager and lived in Paris and managed IBM and General Electric. Um, in the days when companies started to buy their corporate travel mm. um, sort of across Europe or yeah. globally. So uh, that was very interesting. Highly competitive roles. So, and um, I was living in Paris in, uh, in um, the early 90s when they were building Euro Disney. Wow. Then became Disneyland Paris. <laughs> yeah. So I got to know a lot of the, 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 the team there. And um, then Disney asked me to join them on a European role, on a European marketing role, and, um, which I did. And that was an incredible brand to work for. Mm. Um, and, um, and had five years working with them on the going back into leisure. So I did sort of mm. corporate and then back into leisure. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, had a stint with dreamticket.com, the online travel world, just at the time, late 90s, uh, when really the online uh, tour operating world was just starting up. Mm, yeah. Um, and that was a fascinating period of, of really being involved with the fundraising we had uh, our second round funding that we were getting. We had strategic partners in Ticket Travel Group, mm. the Scandinavian business. Um, and we were going for second round funding when the sort of dot-com bubble burst. Um, and our strap line was um, stop dreaming, start packing. And then it became stop packing, start dreaming. Um, <laughs> when sadly we didn't make it. But that was oh, a great experience as yeah. well, working with um, Lawrence Hunt and the Rapid Travel Solution guys. Uh, but I actually then went back into the corporate world mm. and... Um, uh, went back to Disney for a stint, and then I met Susan Hooper, who was at Avis, who was uh, who had moved to Royal Caribbean, and uh, she said, "How are you? Are you interested in cruising?" I said, "To be honest, no, not really. It's not really something that uh, 
majorly interests me. But the more I got into it and more I looked at it, I just realised the excitement of the industry and how it was such a growth industry. And that was 15 years ago. <laughs> My longest stint anywhere in a variety of roles, as you said. And, um, you know, I think the, the I've been very lucky wherever I've been. Um, I've had great, overall had great learnings, great experiences um, but I do think the what's in the DNA of the Royal Caribbean Corporation from really putting the guests at the core of everything, our crew and our staff overall, um, is uh, is a culture that really suits me. Yeah, well, 15 years. Uh, I and think, as you, it, yeah. <laughs> as you say, normally you've done your five-year stints and then moved on. And Absolutely. The fact that, you know, 15 years sort of says it all, really, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting, as you were just talking then, you said, you know, you jumped, you had that stint in the entrepreneurial world, mm-hmm. really, where you were, you know, raising funding and doing all of that sort of stuff. And then you jumped back into corporate. And that, But actually, your early career, when you were repping and having to deal with all of the stuff that that brings with it, right. you have to be very responsive and think on your feet, don't you? And, um, you know, I think sometimes people tend to think of corporate as being very stiff, structured, without innovation and things like that. And right. an entrepreneur will be the total opposite. And I think the reality is that you actually get a bit of both, even in the corporate world. Absolutely. You? you know, I don't know what your experience has been thinking about that, that sort of thing within your roles that you've had. You're absolutely right. I mean, if I, if I, I've, I often say when people say what part of what's really influenced you in your career, those mm. early days really influenced me. Mm. One is the importance of customer service. I mean, can you imagine now flights landing and there's no rooms for, for, for guests when, when they land? Yeah. And, having, and how you handled that. Because yeah. we, were, we were frontline then. We were facing the, the, the customer. Mm. Um, obviously, from a, from a customer, customer power and, and the customer rights then were very different. Yeah. Um, it just wouldn't happen today with all the uh, regulations. Um, however, you know, I managed to do things like get the hotel to close down the swimming pool. For two days because constantly people were cutting their feet in the swimming pool on the tiles. That was not good. I was spending a lot of time in the hospital. Um, you know, I managed to really encourage customers. I actually, you know, as you know, we earned from excursions. I actually earned a lot of money because I said to people, look, I can't change the hotel, but this is a beautiful island. So I did very well on selling great excursions. Um, and, and, you know, and I received a lot of great letters from, from, from customers um, just saying thank you for caring. And um, I was there if, if they, I, I went above and beyond. And, and you're right, that was, that was an entrepreneurial mm. opportunity. And uh, that organisation was, you know, yeah. the, in, in, that, in those days, Thompson was our major competitor. Yes, yes. Thompson was seen as being more structured, <laughs> more proper, mostly graduates. Whereas, you know, Harry Goodman's approach was it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. If you want to go for it, go for it. Yeah, University of Life. University of Life. <laughs> University of Life. But, but very early on, you had a big responsibility in all of those roles. I mean, obviously, you know, I think people tend to, who know you now, think of you as crews and think of you in the, you know, the very senior roles you've had at Celebrity, etc. Right. But even 35 years ago, you know, the early parts of your career, you had a lot of responsibility very young when you look back. Yeah, I, well, I think, interesting enough, when we, when I was at Intersun when they acquired the um, ski business mm. and then we developed the Lakes and Mountains business. And that's sort of what I mean, that we were, you're right, you were led by Diana Holland, who I learned so much from mm. and is still to this day a good friend. Um, and we always, you know, meet up at World Travel Market um, 
Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, she still to this, she always says, my God, you know, I never thought you'd get to where you get to. I don't know if that's good or bad. It's like, thank you, Diana. <laughs> Take it as a compliment. But she says it, she says it with, with, with pride. But you're right. That was a business within a business. Yeah. And, um, and, and how we took that to the next step. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it, you, you touched on a, the, I suppose, a topic of mentors, really. Yes. Or, in, or role models, people that have influenced you along the way. You know, Harry Goodman, Diana, you yep. know, Peter Long is probably a whole list yes. of them. I know, yeah. I know from my point of view, I've got lots of people that I can think are really kind of gave me a leg up or helped and supported or, or showed me a, a path. Yeah. Um, how important has that been for you, Joe? do you think, in your career? Very much so. I think especially giving confidence is a major one. I mean, I go back to my Hertz days when I remember that I was um, a sales manager within the, within the team and the sales director role became open. I didn't even think about going for it. Mm. Me? I mean, what, I mean, surely I can't be the sales director. And the managing director at the time approached me and said, why haven't you applied for the role? I said, well, I'm not ready for it. Mm. classic thing read the job description well I haven't got 100% of that and he said I think you should and um you know through that I I then did and um and Elizabeth Haraway uh, who was um, my boss at the time really gave me that encouragement to to go for it mm. and um and that was probably one a real learning curve it's the first time when I'd been a peer and then became a manager. Yes. <laughs> and, and I was, you know, late 20s. Yeah. So, um, and that's, in, in those days, that's when you thought, well, how can I be their boss? Because I don't know that as well as they do. Mm. You know, the early days of thinking you, you need to know it, know it all. We certainly need to know what your team are doing. Whereas now, of course, it's like, get the best team around you, the most diverse team around yeah. you, and that they're far in their areas of expertise. Yeah. Nobody knows it better. So that was a big learning curve for me. And how did that feel at the time then? So, so obviously it was a sort of the big gulp of, oh my gosh, I'm going to go for this. Um, and then when you actually were successful and got the role, how did that feel to you? Can you remember the feeling? Yes, I think I over, tried to overcompensate to start with. Right. I think I tried to, if I look back on it now, I think I tried to overmanage. Mm. I think I tried to work out how do I now you know, I'm no longer the peer, I'm now the boss, which of course is the completely wrong thing to do. Yeah. But I think I learned very quickly, by the way. And, um, but I, if, if I look back on it, I think I was trying to overcompensate for mm. probably a lack of confidence at the time, which yeah. I think is also far more female than male things. I we think, know. well, it is. And, and we talk a lot about imposter syndrome right. and, and sort of feelings of, oh my God, even though all of the evidence shows that you're successful and you're doing a good job and you're in the position you should be because of, of all of your talent, you almost tell yourself it's just luck. Um, yeah. And I don't really belong here. And I'm going to yeah. get found out. And yeah. oh my gosh, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think you're right. I think it's a it's a trait that is more profound in women, probably. Yes. Um, and I, what I, what you made me think about was when you were saying you were looking at the job description and you go, oh well, I can't do all of that. Yes. You probably maybe had seventy percent of it, whereas a guy yeah. would probably look at it and go, well, I won't worry about the thirty percent I haven't got. I'll just go for it anyway. Right. Um, yeah. But I think there's a lot of a lot of people listening would probably you know have an affinity to that feeling of oh, oh hang on a minute bit of the imposter syndrome kicking in um how, how did that how did that how have you got better with that over the years definitely yeah and um I mean you know I think you you never want arrogance right I think you've no. got to be careful yeah. of that um but I without a doubt I think experience 
and learnings. I, I, I certainly have found that. I'm, you, I still have it at times, and I think mm. it's always good to have that level of that butterflies and nervousness at various situations, yeah. various situations. But um, I, I no longer feel the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing as well is that, and I think men and women do have it, but I think you're right, women do have it more. Mm. And I think part of that also is actually, again, going back to the whole way in which traditionally, and the joy of it, I think now in this day and age, so many parents are bringing their children up without that with a far more greater equality and belief of you can do everything. Yeah. Um, luckily, I overall had that with my parents. But generally, in the, in the, in growing up, we didn't have that. It was mm. very much seen as um, potentially overall that it would be accepted if, if uh, men were out more outspoken or had more of opinion. Mm. Um, and, um, and therefore, I think there was a real – there still is today, but I think there even more, though, then there was more of a – misunderstanding of, oh, my God, you know, she can be aggressive, whereas a man is assertive, et cetera. Yes, And, yeah. um, um, you know, I've always had quite a loud voice and quite a strong voice. And um, so it's quite interesting the way in which I think people can perceive things in a different way mm. with women than with men. And yeah. I do still believe that to this day. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And and sometimes it's it's the stories we tell ourselves, I think, as well. Yes. You know, maybe other people actually aren't thinking that at all. Yeah. <laughs> but we make we we almost convince ourselves that there's an issue, you know, and I, I used to always think, well, you know, if you walk into a room thinking there's a problem, there probably will be a problem. So yeah. if you can try and get your own head in a better better shape yeah. um, and sort of quell those inner voices, it definitely helps, doesn't it, in terms of just being able to continue and almost, you know, be try and be yourself, really. Correct, yeah. Uh, and when we, when we were chatting before, Joe, you, you we were talking about how sometimes to be successful as a woman in business... Mm-hmm. Um, the old view was, well, behave more like a man. So yes. it was like an alpha female perspective and, you know, climb the slippery <laughs> poles yes. at the top of, the, yeah. of your career. Yeah. Um, how do you think that's changed? Well, one, I suppose two questions. One, was that sort of the approach that you ever took in your career, mm-hmm. either consciously or not consciously? And two, do you think it's changed for, for women now sort of trying to progress their careers or their business lives? Yeah, interesting one. Yes, I do. I do think in the late 80s, early 90s, there was somewhat of you can't beat them, join them. Mm. And I think in some areas, I look back on it, um, probably, you know, personally, and also I think other other women in business who were then in sort of leadership roles or starting to be in leadership roles, we were all of a, of a similar age. I think we probably perpetuated some of that mm. and we allowed some of the behavior to get away with it. Mm. Um, and and therefore the gender inequality to continue. Um, so yes, I would say that I was guilty of that. Mm. Um, and um, and I think it's so interesting now. Again, I think it's overall now it's great that there is a far greater confidence. I think in being able to have open and honest conversations generally with yeah. with both sexes, with people from 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 you know, across the board in talking openly about difficult conversations and comments that might be inappropriate or um, inequality that we are ignoring, uh, be it consciously or subconsciously. Mm. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I think whilst we've still got a long way to go, again, I'm very proud to work for an organisation where that's encouraged mm. and where we're genuinely making a difference. 
Um, um, and I also have now, through experience and confidence, uh, know that I, I feel confident now in, in pulling people up if I believe that the behaviour is inappropriate yeah. or the comments are inappropriate um, or we're not making enough change. Um, and, um, and I think that is happening more and I think that's, that's good. Mm. I think we've still got a long way to go, but I think it's happening more. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, you're very <coughs> much one of the industry-leading figures, I would say, in terms of diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. and, and sort of the culture you've created at Celebrity and yeah. the awareness, you know, the voice that you have in the industry to really shift the dial, I think, is actually incredible. And, you know, all, all credit to you because you've trod that path yourself so you know what good looks like or what, you, what culture you want to create and why. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Celebrity and the, and the diversity and inclusion and sort of some of the initiatives then because I think what you've done there has been has been a real um, example for other businesses, I think possibly who are struggling thinking, well, hang on, where do I go with this? Almost too scared to tackle the topic because they don't want to get it wrong. Right. So therefore do nothing sometimes or yeah. don't do enough. So, so what, what's been the big things at Celebrity that have made the difference? And- well, I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of companies or individuals are nervous about getting things wrong. Mm. And I think it's really important that that people need to be allowed to make mistakes or people need to be allowed to, to, to get things wrong. Listen, I think it starts from the top, but I think it needs to perpetuate throughout the organisation. Yeah. And I, I come back again. So from Richard Feindow, our chairman of, of Royal Caribbean Group, and then Lisa Lutoff, who's the president and CEO of Celebrity Cruises, she has really driven the equality agenda in all areas. And, but however, not on her own. You know, a lot of the team that have helped help that happen from a gender equality point of view are our male colleagues in Marine. Yes. And I, it's, it's absolutely true that if you don't measure it, it doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, or it doesn't happen as successfully, but f- without a doubt. And to have gone from 2% female officers to 23% in from 2015 to 2019 is significant. And not without an awful lot of hard work led by Patrick Dalgren, who's our head of Marine, and our Marine team, who are predominantly male Mm. still, in really looking at the talent that we've got and really looking at the cadet schools that we go to. And a bit like EasyJet with the great work that EasyJet had done on female pilots, to really make sure that, as we know, young girls don't think about being a captain of a ship or being a pilot or a driver of a train. Yeah. And how we really give them that confidence to think differently. And then on board the ship to really work with them on on building that confidence and giving them an opportunity. Mm. And, you know, we've now got four female captains out of a fleet of 14, which we are uber proud of and celebrate. But it should be seven. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, and within that, Captain Kate sort of leads the way, who is our first, first ever female American captain who is just so powerful in the way that she manages and her leadership style mm. um, uh, with the guests and with the crew. And she, through this crisis, has managed incredibly well. Um, she's the, our mothership. She's on Celebrity Edge. She still is today. Mm. Um, and she really keeps the, the charge going of, of, of the crew and the, the whole diversity and inclusion program alive. So that's been on the gender equality side. On the LGBTQ side, that's always been a, a, a major um, uh, side from a celebrity cruises point of view. I mean, we used to, from a, 
a guest point of view, have drinks of Friends of Dorothy. Well, most of the young generation don't know what Friends of Dorothy is. So we now you have might our, want to explain that. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so that was a God, That was in the Stonewall days when, with, yes. with with Friends of Dorothy was the secret underground meetings, basically yeah. when it was when it was when it was illegal for for gay men. Mm. Um, and we now have LGBTQ gatherings um, when everybody when people are on board and and you know that it's it, they don't you don't have to be LGBTQ very often. Lots of our, our guests all mingle together. But it's, it's again, that's about equality and within the organisation. Um, and I guess having gone through that personal experience myself in the 80s, um, when it was really challenging to be out and um, I was worried about it impacting my career. Um, and I think at that stage it could have done. I would, I, I still don't, but I think at that stage it could have done. Um, and I had, um, you know, I, very few people knew. Um, and I had an incredible support from a few people, Christina Wallen being one of them, who's been a great mentor and influential in my career. Um, and both from helping me build teams and from my own personal movements. And I did confide in her. Um, and she really helped me consider through that time. Um, and um, I, you know, and, and I remember my father always saying to me, just make sure that you're not the pun of jokes in the boardroom. And, um, and I think that was good advice. And I think that was good advice still, still today. Mm. Um, <clears throat> although, again, I think things have moved on. So I think having gone through that personal experience, it means that, you know, the fact that I was in my late 30s when I came out, uh, to a lot of young people today. And I remember talking to Sophie Griffiths at TTG and I'm sure she won't mind me saying she couldn't believe it. I mean, the thought of her now, you know, um, not being able to be her true self. Mm. And so I spent a big chunk of my career in leadership roles where I wasn't able to be my true self. Mm. And in hindsight, I don't think that wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for my teams either because without a doubt, when you bring your true self to work, um, and when pe- people don't need to know the ins and outs of your life. No, sure. Um, <clears throat> but all of my team know Lynn and know what a big part she is of my life. Mm. Um, and and um, I couldn't do what I do without her support. Mm. So um, I guess that's also had a, I want to, to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can to help um, the community and help any minority group. Um, to make sure that they feel safe and confident to be who they are. Mm. And when you, I mean, your your journey and your story is incredibly inspiring for a lot of people because, one, you speak so candidly and openly, which I think is is amazing, but I guess it's taken quite a while. It took a while for you to get to that point where you mm-hmm. can speak openly about kind of your your choices and, and the way you, you came out. Um, do you want to just touch a little bit on... The lead, or how life was for you, Joe, when you when you were you were in senior roles, mm-hmm. but you I'm not I'm don't I'm don't want to put words in your mouth, but you almost had sort of two two lives or two personas to a certain degree, I guess you know in terms of the sexuality side of things. And so, how did that feel pre coming out, and then and then we can talk post coming out and just sort of how how that was in reality, how did it manifest on a daily basis for you? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I have always had a fairly positive and optimistic persona. Yeah. 
So I'm I'm lucky that I haven't gone through mental health issues in the way that I think a lot of people mm. a lot of people have when they're not being able to be their true self or they're feeling vindicted or, or whatever. Sure. Um, so it, it, I so what ha- what you do basically is you talk in the third person. Right. So you don't completely ignore what you did at the weekend. Mm. You just talk in the third person. Um, and, and, but you can at times then, of course, get tripped up, you know, and, and I guess it's that concern. It's that, you know, it's that sort of, oh my God, have I been sussed? That, wow. that was the feeling. Wow. Um, and, and of, of actually I'm, I'm sort of giving disrespect to, to everybody because when I did come out, either people said, yeah, and, um, <laughs> or yeah, t- tell us something we don't know. Um, or so what? 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 Yeah. What the? Hell? I've, I can honestly say I've never, ever, ever experienced a, a a bad situation. Now I don't know what some people might have said behind my back. Mm. I don't know that. But it, the the difference is, it's like it's just like a weight being lifted off your shoulders. Mm. That that's all I can say. And it is it is that transformative. And I think as a result of that, I then have become a better work colleague. Um, a better friend and um, a better a better leader. Yeah, yeah you know absolutely. because a lot of my old friends that I'd known for years they were the toughest people to tell. Right. Yeah. And I'm that. delighted to say that you know my my the, the famous fivers I call them we go back to when we were five years old but that group was the toughest group for me to tell. Why do you think that was? Just because the, of the long history you had. Correct. And, yeah. 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 And yeah. what, was, what, was, what was their general response from, from the fire? I think some of them were a bit disappointed that I hadn't told them earlier. Okay. And they, they, so some people were like, why did you feel that you couldn't, that you couldn't tell me earlier? Mm-hmm. And I think there was, from that point of view, there was some disappointment. Did you feel you couldn't trust me? Right. And there was, you know, from that point of view, sort of, um, uh, I felt a bit bad about that. And they felt, my God, you know, you, you are who you are. Yes, so yeah. that was so that was my issue, right? That was my yeah, issue. Yeah, uh, it seems like an awful long time ago. Now it, it, it is an awful long time ago, um, and but that scenario now makes me think again of any form of inequality and how wrong that is, mm. and how it, the, the the comment that frustrates me most is, well, what's the problem? You know, I'm not racist. I'm you know my best friend's gay, or unless you're in it or living it or it's your mother or your father or your sister, your brother, or your real true friend that you care about, you don't really know. Yeah. So don't pass judgment on saying, oh, it's, I don't see what the problem is. Mm. I don't know why we need to focus in on this. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah. You, people don't get it. If people operate think like that, it's like if people say, I'm not racist, you know, and then, well, what are you doing about being proactively anti-racist? Mm. And that, to me, is how the world has now changed. Yeah, yeah. And it's all very well saying I'm not racist, but what are you doing to make a difference? Yeah. Yeah, no, and lead by example, isn't it? Really, walk yeah. the walk. Um, and you mentioned earlier about your about your dad. Yes, and the advice your dad gave. So yeah. How did how did and, and maybe we, maybe what we do first of all we talk about sort of your earlier like mm-hmm. your childhood and, and sort of how life started for you and, right. and then how that maybe has influenced you know the journey that you've been on um, since childhood and then we can talk about your your dad in the context of you coming out and right and business. That. Yeah, because yeah. my, my father was an entrepreneur who set up a very successful business in its day. Well, I mean, interesting background. So my mother was German Jew. Um, uh, her parents and family were killed in Auschwitz. Mm. 
And she was a kinder transport refugee. So she came over just before she was 13, um, before Jewish kids were being seen as being adults. And then they too went to the uh, concentration camp. So her parents had to, they got her elder sister out first. They hung on and hung on, um, hoping that what happened wouldn't happen in disbelief. And of course it did. And therefore they got uh, my mother out before it was too late. And um, so she arrived like Paddington Bear with a name tag around her neck um, into King's Cross and um, um, was then a refugee and never really had a foster family. Um, Grew up in boarding school and went to the various teachers through the holidays who kindly took her in. And my father was a Polish Catholic, um, survived Warsaw Uprising, uh, survived concentration camp, um, and they met in London. And um, in their late teens, married very young, uh, sort of 20 and and 21. And I think they had, obviously, they'd they'd both been through incredible situations. Although quite interesting with a Pole marrying a German, Mm. even though she was a a German Jew. And that was quite an interesting mix. They they put themselves through university. Um, My father put himself through the Polish University in London and became an electronic engineer. And my mother was a school teacher, uh, French and German. She was a linguist teacher. Um, and then, um, uh, then they actually, had, they couldn't have kids, um, cause my father was very ill when he was in concentration camp. Um, and they then adopted my brother and myself. Ah. So I'm actually, I've got lots of reasons to be, to be the character that I am. Yes. I'm, f- I'm fully Irish by birth <laughs> and adopted by a German Jew and a Polish Catholic. A wonderfully, wonderfully eclectic mix. <laughs> so enjoy a drink, love lots of jokes. Uh, can take the mickey out of myself and constantly being persecuted. How's <laughs> <laughs> the sickly part, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they were incredible people, um, yeah. unbelievable people. And, um, b- because, you know, we, our, our home was always open to everybody. You know, their, their ethos in life was live, live every day as though it's your last. Love people for who they are. Always look at the best in people. Um, and, and accepted anybody from wherever they were. And a lot of my childhood, we had lots of different families and children coming to stay. And we had lots of children for Belfast, actually. I was listening to right. Chris Brown's. But yeah. during, the, <laughs> during the Belfast travels, we used to have lots of kids from Belfast coming for holidays over. And, um, and I, it, the, our house was always full of uh, different kinds of food. And I was brought up on cheese and ham. And people used to come and stay and say, where's the marmalade? You know. <laughs> And um, Polish Easter and Polish Christmas and uh, light of the candles on the Christmas tree. And, I, and whilst I wasn't brought up in the Jewish faith, I was brought up in the Catholic faith because I was adopted from a Catholic Irish agency with a commitment to being brought up a Catholic. Um, I'm now agnostic, but um, we had lots of mixes of Hanukkah and <laughs> um, different celebrations going on. So it was, it was a fascinating um, upbringing and, um, and always a... Um, a belief of, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. My father set up a business um, in, uh, with hiring a lot of Poles, um, without a doubt. He did positive discrimination to so, uh, looking after his workforce and uh, was one of the first designers of walkie-talkies. Wow. And I still have a letter from 1970 from a company called Nokia saying, we, are you interested in selling? Uh, to which he said, no, nah, we're not interested. Thank you very much. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I often think how he'd, um, what he'd think today about where we've got to from the mobile phones, et cetera. He'd be fascinated. Yeah. So he really, 
he was a great mentor to me and always really gave me great encouragement and gave me, gave me lots of, I used to work with him in the business in holidays very often. And um, I remember the first time I went there, it was like, oh God, the, bo- the boss's daughter. And then they were like, you know, come on, Joe, let's go down the pub. <laughs> I was welding the, the, uh, the walkie talkies and uh, we had a great time. Wow. And I used to go back every summer and help out. Oh, fantastic. Well, gosh, that's a, a one hell of a childhood. And did, did, did your parents speak quite openly about their early years and, and sort of, you know, what had happened to their families and the persecution and the suffering that they'd gone through? In, or, or was that just not no, really No, sadly not. On? No, I mean, they were so conscious about being grateful to the UK yeah, um, for taking them in and getting British nationalisation that mm. sadly I wasn't brought up trilingual, which today I would have been. Yes. Um, my, I, when, when I started studying German, then my mother helped me, but I wasn't mm. brought up speaking German because, of course, the German language was a language that nobody wanted spoken. Yes, yeah. Including my father. My father found it difficult to hear the German language. Did he? Yeah. Um, and uh, my mother, I took my mother back to Berlin just before the wall came down, which was her first return trip, having um, since she left in um, 38. Wow. So... Um, so sadly, no, but we, there was lots of Polish spoken with Polish friends and mm. we booked a call every week to my grandmother in Warsaw. You had to book a call in those days. She didn't speak English. So I, I had pigeon Polish. Mm. Um, and, um, but sadly in, th- in those days, it was all about survival. You didn't really talk about your past. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of people, my mother wouldn't say that she was German. Right. Uh, she actually hid that. It was as she got older, as I got older. And luckily, before they both passed away, that I was really able to talk to them as an adult. I wish I'd recorded them yeah. to really understand more and listening to my father about being literally in the underground in the, in the Warsaw Uprising and surviving that. And uh, his mother stayed in Poland, but his father and brother were literally she was forced to watch her husband and son shot dead. Wow, it's just, you can't, so, can't imagine, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I think people ended up going two ways, those who survived that. They either became suffered from PTSD and mm. became really very paranoid. And I, I was just very lucky that I was brought up by two people who, who literally just seized the moment and the world is your oyster mm. and do anything and don't accept um, that you can't from anybody. Yeah. And, um, and my, my mother's... You know, greatest phrase was, you know, take people for who they are, not what they are. Don't care about their business title. Don't care about what it's just take them from who they are within mm. and focus on that. It's great advice, isn't mm. it? And, and, that, and clearly that's something that you, you just live and breathe daily as, a, as an ethos. I try really. to. Yes, I try to. I, yeah. I, I, to me, that is in, in, important. It yeah. really is. So when your when your dad mentioned to you. Sorry, it gets me into trouble as well at times because I'm not very good at hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think cutting through the cutting through the corporate <laughs> politics, and uh, I think if more people did that, then it'd probably be a better. I speak better my position. mind. I speak no, my really? mind. No, <laughs> really. I, I, yeah, I think I have an affinity here as well. Yeah, I think we're we're cut from the same cloth in that respect. But um, so coming back to the comment that your dad made when you were you know you were coming out yeah. and you'd made that decision, how did your parents respond then? Given you know the, the background that you had and the openness that they had anyway in terms of welcoming all kinds of people of 
different backgrounds, etc. Was it a shock to them when you told them, or was it? It wasn't the best news I could have given them. Right. Um, they didn't say, "Let's get the the balloons out and let's get get call the family and get all the neighbours round." No. And I mean that from a point of view is that if their full concern was was me. Yeah. And it was still the era of can you be happy and gay? Mm. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Um, uh, queer, of course, then was was a very derogatory term. Of course, it's now been recaptured by the LGBTQ com- community. But mm. I still find it difficult to say because I grew up in the in the community where it, where, where it was not a, not a great word. Yes. Um, so they're purely because of their concern for me. They thought life would be tougher. Yes. And I think having been through tough lives themselves, they just wanted life to be easy for my brother and I. Yeah. And, um, of course, life is tough anyway, right? Mm. And um, I'd love them to still be around today, A, to see that I've never been so happy. Yeah. And sadly, neither of them ever met Lynn. Um, and, um, and also just to see how the world has changed mm. and how, you know, it doesn't, again, to that phrase of, of um, just take people for who they are, not what they are. Yeah. Um, th- that's, that's what I'm living. So it, but it was quite tough. Um, they also would have been wonderful grandparents. And in those days, it wasn't even conceivable if you were gay to think about having children. No, yeah. That's changed massively now as well, which is great. Um, and, but they certainly were not, I'd never, you know, I, I know lots of people who were, who were just, you know, disowned from the family. Mm. Um, the family just would not, um, threw them out, et cetera. And, you know, there's, and sadly, there's lots of LGBTQ um, people who are older generation my generation plus now, who still to this day are not in touch with their family. And um, so I'd never had that. I, it was all about love. It was all about protection. Mm. Um, but as a result of that, it was quite tough because the protection was, okay, we get it, but perhaps don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, in hindsight, again, today is very different. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, not for everybody, but for a lot of people sure. So if you were, if someone was listening to this and yeah. they're, they're, they're in business or whatever they're in actually, it doesn't yeah. have to be in business and they, they haven't yet come out mm-hmm. and they're sort of grappling with that, what would your advice be to, to someone in that scenario? So I would never, for, the other thing is, and I, I'm, unfortunately I went through an experience where somebody did try to out me and that was a really unpleasant experience. Mm. Somebody else who was gay who felt that I should be out and it was my duty to be out. Every, it's everybody's personal individual journey. Mm. Um, I think try, you, there's always somebody that you can talk to. You know, I happily, if people want to private message me or whatever, I'd be more than happy if there's anybody in the industry who wants to talk, to talk to them yeah. in confidence. But find somebody that you can talk to. There's always somebody that you can talk to. And, you know, I go back from a professional point of view. Christina Wallen is one of my closest friends, uh, but we met through... Through, through, through business and mm. without her professionally at that time I don't know how I'd have come through it in the way that I did mm. she was a major major support to me from a professional point of view mm. and what, and, what uh, was what was what did that support look like obviously a very open ear and just allowing you to sort of you know speak freely but what, what was the other aspect that because I know me and I know Christina very well and she's fantastic she 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 understood my dilemma yeah. Um, and she helped me talk through it. Yeah. And helped me talk through how I handle being myself with not being fully myself. Yes. And really helped me through deciding when the right time was, was to come out. 
Okay. Yeah, because oh, you're right. A lot. I mean, life. A lot is about timing in, in yeah. life in general, isn't yeah. it? And and I think you you know from what you you've said, it's it's a personal journey. So just get yourself comfortable and ready, and you'll 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 tackle it whenever is right for right. you um, yeah. as an individual. Yeah. So I mean, that's great advice. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, I think this is hugely helpful for so many people. By the way, because well, I hope so. I feel a bit as though. <laughs> It's all, you know, all about me. But <laughs> it's all about you. But it's all about you. But in the context of, you know, the the title of the podcast is mm. Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Right. Okay. And and so, you know, brave, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Bold, making an impact. You know, yep. we've talked about the impact you're, you've made at celebrity and in the broader industry. And then brilliant is just when everything comes together and and you're shining, which is clearly there's lots of times in your career where that's happened as well. So, yes, we're talking about you, but there's a lot of insights and and things for other people listening that I think is massively helpful to others so thank you for speaking so candidly um let's talk a little bit about the business at the moment because obviously Mm -hmm. the travel industry is tough for for lots of industries um and cruise uh, is is certainly up there in terms of being massively impacted currently how how are things at celebrity and kind of what have been the things that are helping you get through this really tough time from a, like a resilience point of view, both for the business, but for yourself as a leader? Mm-hmm. Um, first thing I'd say is team. Mm. Um, I have the most incredible team and leadership team in, in particular. And um, I really feel that in all of my career, this has been the strongest team that, that I've got from a point of view of, working together from a point of view of respecting one another, challenging one another, not always seeing eye to eye because that's not good. Yeah. But really through this time more than ever, taking the the rest of the team with us, Mm. frequently communicating, um, frequently, even if the messaging is, even if the answer is we still don't know, which the world around us at the moment, we still don't know. Um, really looking at understanding people's mental health and mental situation. You know, I think it's been really tough when we've, we were seeing light. We do now see light at the end of the tunnel, but I think as we go into winter now, and I think as we're going into potentially a second situation that we're in, it's tough for people because we were starting to go back to the office. Yes. We were starting to see one another face to face and it was making such a difference. And I do hope that we'll get back to that again. Um, whereas versus spending your life on Zoom, although I think there's been lots of pluses on that, which mm. I which I can talk about. But mm. so, it's, first of all, I think is the cohesiveness and the t- of the team. And I think whilst it's so tough at the moment, but from a leadership point of view, you know, having gone through as we've done, you know, nine eleven, Ash Cloud, Costa Concordia, financial collapse, Gulf War, very early on for us. Um, this there's nothing like this. And as 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 I talk to the team, we speak every morning at uh, at ten thirty as a team. And we started off on March the nineteenth when we start our first day on lockdown, saying, "Let's put a morning catch up in. We'll do that for two or three weeks before we're back in the yeah. office." And still now we're doing it pretty much every day, mm. whether we're all there or not. Yeah, we're still doing that. And because the world's changing so much, mm. but keep because and it keeps the communication going and it keeps us seeing one another. In fact, we got to know each other better because we've met puppies. Um, Claire Stewart, my sales director, has just got the most gorgeous puppy that I'm just so jealous of because I'm still determined that we'll get a puppy. Um, we, we're meeting the children more. We're meeting the partners more when they're coming in. You know, Lynn's got an electric car, which is causing havoc. So most days I've got a message saying, 
I don't know what to do with the car. So they're, they're hearing all about that. And, and so we've got to know each other yeah. better as well. So I think, seriously, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being, I think that is the thing through this. If you haven't got a good team, if you haven't got a cohesive team, and we've done a lot of work on that with a fabulous coach from a lady called Charo Garzon from a business called Paradox, and she's been amazing. Uh, in helping us we we didn't start this with covid we've been doing yeah. this for a long time and but therefore the way in which we work together as a team now i think has really paid off especially in the world of zoom yeah. and the world of virtual mm. um so that's been a key side of it listen it's it's the travel industry as we know is going through it more than anybody the cruise industry literally was in the eye of the storm yeah. very early on yeah and has been singled out in a way that a lot of the other sectors of the industry haven't mm. One of the things I'm also very proud of is how we work together as CLEAR, the Cruise Line yes. International Association. Andy Harmer and the team have done an incredible job. And whilst we fight like cat and dog once they're in the funnel and mm. commercially, yeah. overall, uh, Tony Roberts from Princess is currently the chair. And we work, again, we meet this morning. That was the call that I had before we spoke. 9.30 every Thursday we meet yeah. um, with all the heads of the cruise lines. And, and a lot of great work has been happening with the government in working with them to try and get more support. Mm. We don't believe in, yes, there's frustrations, but we believe the best approach is to take them with us on the journey, not to just keep knocking them. Yeah. And uh, Robert Coots um, just, you know, has stated that he's working with us as an industry to hopefully reverse the advice of do not cruise. At the moment, you can't cruise anyway yeah. from the UK. Um, but, you know, bookings for 21 are, are not a disaster. They're, they're not brilliant, but they're not a disaster. People are booking, but we just need that advice to change so that there's greater confidence. But, but the healthy cell panel recommendations are coming to the fore. Mm. The Centre of Disease Control in the States are listening to the healthy cell panel because the US, obviously, for the three major cruise lines yeah. is the core. And we can see light at the end of the tunnel, but we just don't know with this pandemic. Mm. And this is the difference from any event that we've had. When it's happened, it's happened. 9-11 happened. It was, behind, it was awful. Yeah. But it was behind us. And then we made changes to go forward. Yes. Yeah. No, you know, liquids. Absolutely. Not going to the cockpit. And we've, we learned to live with that. The problem with this is it's still around us. Yeah. And none of us quite know where it's going to pop up. Yeah. So we need to be responsible. We need to care for one another and look at one's own own health. But I'm afraid I also believe we can't shut down. Mm. We've got to keep the economy going. Everything we're stemming up is going to be a lot worse. Yeah. And that's a real concern that I've got. And to see so many people in our industry, we've had to make changes. We made them very early on. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Mm. It's a really tough time. And to mm. see so many people, great people, um, junior, senior, middle managers losing their roles is 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 just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, through no fault of their own, as you say, these are good people yeah. who have yeah. been professional and and all the rest of it, and it's just very very difficult, yeah. very tough, isn't it? And what about you as a leader through all of this? Because you know you give a lot. Clearly, mm-hmm. you know your your concern is the team, the customer, the business, yeah. the stakeholders, the, the industry, and and colleagues around you. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that you're giving attention, care, love to mm-hmm. through this. Um, how do you keep yourself in good shape sort of mentally when you're going through tough times like this? Yeah, well, interesting. I have to say, I mean, I'm fitter than ever. So if I don't now, don't close my rings. Every- oh, sorry, that's Mickey Mouse on my watch. Sorry about that. <laughs> love it. If I don't close my rings every day, 
I'm I'm paranoid about it. I mean, I, you're super fit, right? I mean, I know that you climbed up the the pooch in 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 Poyenza recently. I've, I've dragged myself up there a couple of times. You probably went up there like a gazelle, but um, you know. But I, I I always have. You know, I've got a personal trainer twice a week. I've stuck to it more than ever. I've done it on Zoom, or we're outside a lot now. We go to yeah. Q Green and Box, great. which is great. Um, and I do my two bridges, Q Bridge and sorry, Q Bridge and, and Chiswick Bridge, either in the morning or in the evening or at lunchtime occasionally, mm. because I'm on early morning on, on these Zoom calls, uh, which does you in, right? Your yeah. eyes. And, and, and then I'm back on again at least three nights a week with Miami. Yes. From eight till 10 or seven till nine or even worse, seven till 10. Mm. So I have to have that break. Mm. And that's really important. And it's really important that we all do. Mm. Um, we haven't got overseas this year, which is, you know, Mallorca is our, our, where we had our civil partnership. It's our spiritual home. It's my repping days. Yes. Lynn st- worked there because she worked in the industry as well. And, and you know, that, the partnership that I've got and has just been amazing. And Lynn is retired now. She supports me massively uh, in cups of teas, in, in lunch, in, 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 and, and also never, you know, we laugh a lot. I mean, laughter, I think, is so important. Mm. And laughter in work, laughter at home and great friends, great mm. friends. And we haven't stopped seeing our friends be it on Zoom when we were in lockdown or as soon as we could in person. Um, and that, that is really important to us. Without, without that, we don't get our energy. We don't get our, our drive. So staying fit and healthy has been key. Um, each other has been key. Um, my brother has been key. My brother is, is mentally not well and lives in a self-assisted self, uh, um, accommodation. And we are his carers and making sure that he's well, well and safe. And we haven't, throughout the whole of lockdown, we've still done the food drops and now it's good. He can come here. We can help. We've made sure he's got fresh, clean sheets, but looking after him. And I'm so proud of him and how he's handled this terrible time. Um, so that, that's been our core. And there's people who are so worse off than we are, right? Yeah. And focusing in on that and focusing to see, what can we do to to help those who are just less fortunate than ourselves? We are we are the lucky ones. Yeah, we yeah. are really the lucky ones. Yeah, and there are people, as I said, who are so less fortunate than ourselves. Mm. And um, trying to do what we can to to help others is key. Yeah, I think you're right. Context is is a big thing, isn't it? You know, if you have, I mean, we all have good days and bad days, don't we? We're all human at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think if you're right, if you exercises I, I firmly believe is just such um you know healthy body healthy mind and yeah. very often it's not even the physical aspects it's more of the stress release yes. and, and just being yeah. outside and clearing your head absolutely you know and I, I know from from my own perspective that if I've not had the chance to go to the gym or have a run or a walk or something I just don't feel on my game right um, and I think that, you know, if, if anyone can take just even, even a walk around the block, you know, whatever, you yeah. don't have to be a super athlete, yeah. you're just something that's going to give yes. you that space to, yeah. to kind of care for your yeah. own health, really. But um, no great pieces of advice there. Oh, and the other thing I started is Pilates. Ah, fantastic. And which at first, I've, it's, it takes, to, I couldn't just do Pilates and nothing else, but I do find that it does make a difference. For the posture yeah. and flexibility. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I'm very lucky I've got a standy up desk. 
Ah, right. Okay. So, so you know, again, I'm fortunate from that point of view. I'm very conscious, again, from the team members who haven't got that mm, mm. as to how we make sure that either working from home or that they can come into the office. Yes, yeah. Because their mental health or their well-being could be better in the office than at home. Yeah, no, it's good. As you say, it's just doing whatever you need to do during this yeah. time. Keep the context, keep yeah. yourself healthy and then just give a, give a lot to other yeah. people as much as possible. But boy, oh boy, we know there's pent-up demand. Listen, I, can't, I haven't been overseas this year. Uh, well, since February, I was actually in Miami when when the the whole Asia situation kicked off, and never in a million years did we no. think that all of the cruise ships around the world would would be where they were. So, um, so it's listen, holidays are, are critical. It will come back. The problem is, there's no way that everybody is going to be here when it does, and that that is critical as yeah. to what we do to support the industry and our travel partners as well as much mm. as we can as we go through this. Yeah. What would be your thoughts on how long do you think it will take for the industry to kind of get to some semblance of, of the sort of size and scale of 2019? I think probably 2023. I think yeah. 20, I, th- I think 21, there'll be lots of, but I think it will still be as it will be a, listen, it's not going to go back immediately yeah. to what it was. It will be a slower Again, we're so conscious about getting it right as a cruise industry. And I think that's what I'm so proud about as an industry and as a company. You know, Richard Fain, has been, his leadership through this has been phenomenal. The amount of comments I get from people in the industry saying his leadership through this and his pretty much every fortnight updates to the industry um, have been so powerful. So it, this is not about rushing back. This is no first mover advantage here. This is about getting it right. So I think 21 will be slowly and surely. Mm. I think 22 will be back into some more assemblance. Then 23, it'd be fabulous if 23 gets back to the yeah. sort of 2019. Yeah, and, we, and we've got to keep focused on that, haven't we? We do. Because say, the industry we is do. a great industry. We do a lot of good for people and, yeah. and provide a lot of strength to the economy as well. Yeah. Um, so we just got to believe and keep focused on that and deal with the short term yeah. as, as and when, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, so, Joe, just the last couple of questions, yes. if I may. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> so what would you say has been the worst piece of advice you've ever been given in your life or career, whichever context? I think probably mm, if you can't beat them, join them. Okay. I think probably going back to what I said about perpetuating some of the inequalities mm. and the behaviours, et cetera, that potentially in the 80s weren't great. Mm. Um, so I think probably that is, it's, it's not if you can't beat them, join them. It's actually if you can do things differently, then do them differently yeah. and do them in your own way. Yeah, yeah. So I think probably that is, is, is one of them. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the best one, I think, um, I think probably two. So my mother's one of take people for who they are, not what they are. Yeah. And I think my father's one in, from a business point of view is, you know, fail, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Um, and um, failure is something, again, that I think is a lot, a lot of people, and I think a lot of women have it even more, oh, my God, I can't fail. But actually, it's, it's okay to make a mistake and to get things wrong and to bounce back up. But I think if you fail to prepare, you are preparing yourself to fail. Mm-hmm. And, and preparation to me, and that's something, again, as a team, I'm very proud of because we do our best to prepare the best that we can for our guests, for, our t- for the teams, for our crew and for our trade partners. Um, and that's, that's the best we can do. And there we go, the, phone, the, the doorbell goes. <laughs> <laughs> so the perfect ending. Thank you so Thank much, you. Joe. You've been brilliant. Thank you. <laughs>